are now listening to Shy Sox Weekly, hosted by Tony Marchese and John Suarez. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning into Shy Sox Weekly, episode 39, brought to you by ONTAP Sportsnet. My name is John Suarez. I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Tony Marchese and Johnny Nani. How are you guys doing today? Good morning. <laughs> yeah, good morning. This is an odd time that we're calling in. Not used to this. Yeah, no, yeah, not at so, all. Oh, my bad. So for a bit of background, we normally do our uh, calls and our uh, recordings at night when we get off of work. We're actually about to go into work, and... We're not going to be drinking too heavily, so I have a Gatorade right here because I am severely hungover from drinking last night. And uh, what happened last night, guys? No, it was a good win down there at the ballpark. Uh, Johnny, I got to see you, got to sit with you, uh, Kinsler, and uh, our guy Jake Trojan. I know your dad was there too. Kinsler had some friends out there. We had a good time at the ballpark last night. It was great because we saw a sock sweep. Um, I was really excited about that. Lurie Garcia made an unreal catch at the wall. Um, I mean, Yoan Mancata, Oppo Bomb, Jose barely getting one out to right field. So, yeah, a lot of good stuff last night. Yeah, so the Sox actually were leading 7-1 to one at one point. Well, let's start from the beginning. So Tim Anderson comes up to bat in the second inning, and the first pitch that he sees is a changeup that hits him square in the helmet. Glenn Sparkman immediately gets tossed by the home plate umpire, you know, knowing the history between Tim Anderson and the Royals and what happened the last time that they played him. Tim Anderson had only appeared as a pinch runner to this point in this series. He had kind of been sitting out. So this was Tim Anderson's first plate appearance since the last time he had played the Royals when he got thrown out of the game. So whether he was trying to hit him intentionally or not, knowing the history, the ump made the right decision. And people got a little heated, so the Sox sparked a little bit of a rally backing Timmy, and they put up seven runs, or they put up, yeah, I think they put up seven runs in one inning. No, nah, it might put, have been five. No, they no, put up two, five two in the yeah. yeah, because Mankata, you just said the Mankata Apple bomb. So, God, I sound like I know a lot. <laughs> Good morning. Tim Anderson um, comes up to the plate in the bottom of the eighth inning after James McCann had let off the inning with a double that I honestly thought was going out of the park. I fucking jumped up I and did started too. screaming. Yeah, I that, did that, too. that was a sweet hit. So Tim Anderson steps up with, I believe, one out and a runner on second, and he delivers in what I would like to call the Tim Anderson game because, well, I know you want to call it the Larry Garcia game, but <laughs> Tim Anderson, I literally was sitting there watching the game, and I stood up, and I go, you know what? This is your chance to prove everybody wrong. This is your chance to take control of this ball game. This is destiny right here. And what does Tim Anderson do? Rips a sweet double down the third baseline right out of the reach of Hunter Dozier, and the Sox end up winning. It became the game-winning base hit, so... Tim Anderson had a few choice words to say about the Royals after the game, so I'll let you guys kind of bring that up. But we fucking hate the Royals for sure. I think, oh yeah, yeah. I think that there's a new rivalry. rivalry. It makes uh, it makes it fun though because you know the Royals. Other than that, it's you know pretty dull. Like you know if you're seeing them however many times, however many series they come in, at least three I think when they come into the ballpark for the year. Um, and then you know obviously we played the same amount uh, at Kansas City too. So I like that it adds a little bit of like excitement, a little flair to this. But, you know, like you said, I, it definitely is the, the Tim Anderson game. I mean, that, that's all about a statement like you had just mentioned, John. Uh, it was sweet because that double that he ripped down the third baseline, we were sitting in the 149. So that was right in front of us. So that was really cool to see. Uh, we were all going nuts. So 
Um, that was a lot of fun. But yeah, I mean, when it, with him getting kicked out, uh, I think the umps were just on high alert. They weren't going to let anything escalate. So uh, probably the right call. I mean, you know, if it was the opposite way around, we'd probably be arguing in a little bit if, you know, especially if one of our starting pitchers uh, had to come out and then we had to use like a bullpen game from because I was only, you know, early on second inning. So uh, I probably would have been a little upset there. But uh, given the circumstances and the history, it, it was not shocking to me that he got tossed. So did you guys see him look down at his hand? And try and sell it. It was ridiculous. He like he looks down at his hand like you let me down. Like I can't believe that ball got away from me. Yeah, right. I mean that. I mean it was a changeup. I'm surprised they didn't come at him with a fastball. You knew it was coming. I mean, did did either of you guys think that they were going to pitch to Tim Anderson in that first at bat? I thought it was really convenient that not only was it the very first pitch of the at bat. I thought it was also very convenient that um, Jorge Lopez was originally scheduled to start for the Kansas City Royals and was a late scratch about three hours before the ball game. And when Glenn Sparkman got thrown out of the game, Lopez was the pitcher that they put in. So I think Ned Yost knew exactly what he was doing. And that just proves more and more why we don't like the Kansas City Royals. Damn. Yeah, that's that's a good, very good point that you make there, John. Um you want to say it was uh, unintentionally intentional. They're going to blame it on it slipping out of his hand. But, you know, all those other circumstances that you just mentioned makes it seem like Ned Yost knew exactly what he was doing. So good for Timmy on uh, getting him back where it hurts. So Yeah, so speaking of Timmy, um, I actually just got this sweet-ass road gray alternate Tim Anderson jersey that I'm actually sporting right now. So we might as well just change our name to Tim Anderson Weekly because I'm literally the biggest Tim Anderson fanboy right now. You look you like yeah, and if if you haven't seen this picture of Jonda in his in his Tim Anderson jersey, I just want to bring this up. This is the most first day of school looking picture I've ever seen. I'm guaranteeing that his mom took the photo because you could just tell that John's standing there. He's got his hands in his pockets. He's he's so happy to be in his Tim Anderson jersey. It's the most boyish picture of Jonda that you're gonna get. Um, go check it out. I think he's got it up there on Twitter. Yeah, the nostalgia was real. It definitely felt like my first day in high school. <laughs> it's a good picture. It is a good picture. I, I love that picture. It's, it, 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 brought, it brought joy to me when I saw him standing there with that smile on his face in his Timmy jersey. I bet he probably still hasn't taken it off yet. Any bets on if, if John has taken that jersey off since he got it? I wore it under my work uniform yesterday, so I have uh, I haven't taken it off. Period. I bet you did. Hey, that was that was good luck. So now now you got to wear it all the time. I'm gonna uh, wear it forever. It's only crazy if it doesn't work, John. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, I mean, so um, this this is gonna be a little bit not a traditional Shy Sox Weekly episode because we had stated that it's a morning episode, but the guys are at the park so much this week that we still wanted to be able to bring you an episode. So we're gonna talk a little bit about. Um, the twin series that came and passed, probably not too much. And then we're going to talk about this Royal series and then the upcoming draft, and then we'll probably wrap it up. So won't be too long. So just bear with us here, but, uh, Tony, take it away. Let's talk about the twin series first. Yeah. So the twin series, I know Johnny was up in, in Wisconsin, enjoying himself away from baseball. Um, Andrew Kinsler and I were, were faced with the task of reviewing each and every one of these games. The Twin Series was just absolutely terrible, right? Coming off of that Houston, uh, you know, those back-to-back victories at the end of the Houston Series, you thought that the White Sox would have some sort of a chance to go in there and carry some momentum in. And the Twins are just so damn good. Watching them play baseball, it makes me absolutely jealous. I don't like what I see up there. Um, 
know, this is something that I've talked to. I know Johnny, I've talked to you about this. I've talked to Beef Loaf about this, how good the twins are going to be over the next decade. And they've got, they've got a solid farm system too. I just, they did what the Sox could have done over the off season. And they supplemented a nice young, talented roster with some, some decent ball players that know how to hit the ball. I mean, you look at, they got Marwin Gonzalez that they signed. Um, they went and they added Jake Odorizzi. Odorizzi just absolutely cut through the White Sox lineup without a problem. Um, the, the pitching staff, they've got a young Jose Barrios up there who, who's really good. Um, it's, it's unfortunate that the, that the Twins look so much better right now than the White Sox because you, you take it over to this, this Kansas City Royal Series and – I mean, we're stomping all over these guys. I mean, Kansas City's not good, but the division is so much there for the taking with Cleveland coming down from from being on high for so long that you really don't want to see the White Sox succumb to being second fiddle to the Twins again. And I felt like that whole series was the Twins just telling us that we are not yet there. And, I mean, it was disheartening. I don't know what, what, uh, what your guys' thoughts are, but that, that was a pretty disheartening series. Yeah, so I had said, I think, like, maybe two, three episodes back on Shy Sox Weekly that this is a really interesting team. You know, there's something special about this team, but until we play the Minnesota Twins, we're not really going to understand, like, what this team's really about. So it wasn't encouraging at all, you know, to give up. I think we, I think the least amount of runs we gave up in any of those games was seven. So the bullpen looked like shit. Starting pitching looked terrible. The only decent spot of starting pitching we had was when Dylan Covey kind of settled down after giving up. I think it was like three or four runs in the first inning. So, But other than that, you know, it's kind of hard to win regardless of the offense you have when you're giving up like six, seven runs a game. And we even saw that yesterday. The Sox almost blew the game based off shitty management and, you know, just bad bullpen management. So, um, yeah, no, I like what you had said about their farm system and like how they like supplemented their roster, you know, like with Nelson Cruz, he's not playing right now, but you know, with Nelson Cruz, you got Marwin Gonzalez and then they even have like in-house names producing like at a very high rate with like Max Kepler and Eddie Rosario got like homegrown talents that they have. So I don't know. I hope we don't, I don't think we play the twins again for a while. The way that we play the twins this year is really weird. So watch the Sox just hover around 500 and play. The, I think we play them a ton in August. So, I mean. It's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. Yeah, exactly. When, when the Twins are trying to win and if the Sox are kind of at that point where, like, you don't know. I mean, Colome has the highest whip in the whole entire MLB right now for a relief pitcher. For all closers, he has the highest whip. So Rick Hahn's probably salivating at the opportunity to try and flip him for something to add to a future White Sox team, which I know Tony's just sitting there grinding his teeth right now. But it's like, that's what the White Sox do, dude. So I don't know how the Sox are going to be looking a month, two months down the road. But if they keep playing games like they played the Kansas City Royals, they have some very favorable series coming up against the Indians, potentially the biggest series of the year so far. It's a four-game stretch starting today, and it's at home. So, you know, the Sox, if they can go, you know, five and two, hover right around 500 after this homestand, moving forward, they have a lot of winnable ball games against, you know, the AL is kind of down this year. The Sox are sitting like two games back in the wild card at 26 and 29. You know, you got the Rays way out in front of everybody. There's obviously going to be two teams from the AL East, maybe even three in the playoffs. But I do have a good feeling that if they get Cease up and they replace Banuelos' shittiness, 
then the Sox actually have potential. <laughs> they do. They actually have potential to maybe make the wild card this year, and that's like the fully blown optimist in me speaking right now. But that's why you don't go <laughs> trade Colomay. No, you don't exactly. But if the Sox are under five hundred at that point, and you know, I mean, even if like the fucking Twins are knocking on the door, I, Rick Hahn's always going to answer the call if it has prospects involved. He doesn't like trading inner division. He doesn't like trading to his rivals. But if the price is right, he's going to make a deal. Um, you know, there's other teams as well that could definitely use some bullpen help. So I don't want to see Colome go. But if the Sox do play a game, if the Sox keep playing like they played against the Twins, I wouldn't mind seeing him go. But if they keep playing like they played against the Royals, obviously we're going to need him. So it's a matter of figuring out the pitching, and it's a matter of not leaving your starting pitcher who's clearly struggling in for 118 pitches. Can we talk about that? Oh, my God. Th- yeah. This team is Jekyll and Hyde, man. <laughs> they it really is. Are. Dude, I was just going to say, because you guys led into the twin series, I don't need to touch any more on that. But I was like, you know, I was kind of like down on them. I thought we were going to get like swapped four games in Houston. And then those last two give me hope. And I shouldn't have get, gotten hope because then, yeah. you know, they, they basically didn't show up to Minneapolis. They might as well have just, you know, packed it in and then went straight to Chicago. They just took those three days off. That's what it seemed like to me. I was able to listen a little bit to that twin series. But that was, you know, disappointing. I think it just plays in perfectly to exactly what you just said, Tony. Jekyll and Hyde. Um, you, you have a team like Houston who's still a juggernaut, even without uh, Springer or Altuve. I know now Correa's out, but he was in for our series there. Um, and that... Like I said, it gave me hope, and then it was taken away, and then now we're back up on the. It's like the roller coaster, Tony. We talk about with the Hawks on Fort Feathers, dude. We're on this the coaster. White Sox are, we're on the roller coaster now because you know get swept three games at Minnesota. Granted, we do it. We'll point it out. Yes, the Royals are bad. They're very bad. But we, what do we always talk about? Taking care of the teams that you need to, winning against your division. Um, well, they they crapped the bet against the division over the weekend, and then they go up on this upswing again, and they have another chance against another division opponent this weekend. So it'd be very, very interesting. I agree with John when he said that, you know, it could be the most important series of the year coming up here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's almost funny, Johnny, and I don't know if this is like the curse of, of teams that we podcast about, but it, it almost feels like we're right back on that Blackhawks roller coaster where they'll do something so good and look like a team that can compete and you are all gung-ho about you know everything like last night coming home from the ballpark i was on tens man listening to the to the the ballpark mix you know screaming down the highway just happy like just got to watch a win with with my good buddies and you know like then we'll come into a game against cleveland right here and if they you know if they put up nothing you know tonight or whatever it's just going to be what the fuck? You know, it's going to be the whole, this team, there's problems. And I don't know if this is just how closely I'm watching this team compared to in years past. And I feel like I'm, I'm at the, I'm watching them the same that I have before, but I am really going through tons of emotions watching them because like John what? said, there's, you can see this, you can see the specialness in, in some of these guys like Tim Anderson and Moncada and the breakout year from McCann and even Lucas Giolito. And then at the at the same point in time, you're still stuck with Yonder Alonso in the in the four spot every day. Yeah. So when you talk about that, um, 
you know, we're probably watching it as closely as we have in past years, but the expectations are higher. Yeah, that's um, true. That, that's what I think it is here. It's a, more of a mindset thing. Patience runs thin in that third year of the rebuild. And granted, this was the time that we thought that we'd be, you know, starting to get competitive. And I'll give them credit for being, you know, they're hanging around there. They're exceeding my expectations. I thought it was going to be almost a repeat of last year, maybe like, what did I say, like six games better. So um, I like that they're exceeding expectations there. But overall, patience is wearing thin. That's what I think is the uh, just our mindset kind of here. Um, and, and granted, injuries are setting it back a little bit, but you want to see other guys step up then because that if there's always going to be injuries in baseball, it's a long season, 162 games, guys are going to get injured. But we have these, you know, big uh, Tommy John type injuries. It's like, how do we fill the void there? And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's inspiring any confidence that we're just rolling out Banuelos, rolling out Covey and just eating innings. It's like, those aren't, you know, it's not a great option. Obviously uh, you, you get a couple of good innings every here and there from Covey, but uh, I'd rather be seeing, you know, someone at MLB level. Like right. that, that's just, well, just how I feel about it. So every time Covey goes out, it just screams long-term reliever to me. Like the way that he works yep. the lineup, he shows flashes. He definitely has potential to especially be a good bullpen arm. He's just, he's not a starter. He's not a starting pitcher. I agree. Um, yeah. His ERA isn't pretty, you know, none of those stats are pretty. So, but the first time around through the order, I'm pretty sure he has a decent ERA and he has a pretty good batting average against. So I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan. You know, Manny Banuelos is the one that we have to get rid of. That is a, that is first Just, and foremost. He, he's another long-term reliever. I don't know if he's exactly, yeah. the have same to get guy. Rid of him, yeah, you, you need to have, yeah, just a lefty instead of a righty. But you need to, uh, I mean, his only, like, wins came against the Orioles. So, like, that that's another thing that gives us a little bit of hope. Uh, then we got to, you know, take uh, take it with a grain of salt because it's the Orioles. We they, just need know, to get they're, his they're family in, like, Section 5, whatever that was, because he hasn't been too hot since they stopped going to the games. Yeah, I, I know he did have that injury. He had a little 10-day DL stint in the middle of there, so I don't know how much that affects him. But either way, doesn't matter. He's a long-term. He's a, you know, a, whatever you want to call him, a patch reliever, a uh, long-innings guy. That, that's what I think his role is best suited for. So He's unfortunately, a there's, He's a band-aid. There, call him what it nobody, is. And the easiest way to fix that is calling up uh, Dylan Cease, but obviously that's not going to happen until – I would like I say I, I say Kopech timeline for uh, Dylan Cease. Uh, I've always been on that. I'm gonna stay true to that, so I don't get too excited about wanting him up right now. Yeah, so I I've been seeing uh, recently that like in years past, the latest the Super Two deadline has ever been is May 30th, which I believe is today. So it's a matter of time before Cease gets called up. A lot of people think that he might get called up over the next couple of weeks, which. That'll really show how the front office feels about this 2019 White Sox team, not the White Sox in general moving forward. And Tony and I were kind of talking about this yesterday. You know, with Giolito pitching the way he is, if one of these guys like Nova, I mean, even Covey, Banuelos gets hot, that's all you really need moving forward is three to four. Like, I mean, Ronaldo Lopez has been awful this year. I don't even really want to talk about that. But... That's all you really need to be able to be a contender is three lockdown starting pitchers, you know, a decent bullpen. We have pleasant surprises in the bullpen right now. You know, like Aaron Bummers look decent. Juan Manaya of all people, has looked decent. Evan Marshall. Um, and 
Yeah, even Evan Marshall. And like and then we got Alex Colomay. You know, Herrera looks broken as fuck. We could I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> but so we have guy it, that's how you get a winning ball club. As you get the guys like the Leary Garcia's having three for three games with amazing plays in the field. You get the guys like Charlie Tilson having a hot stretch, you know, turning their bat on. You get all these guys, even Yomer Sanchez is starting to play decent baseball. So you get all these guys buying in and they play together well. It, it, that's all it really takes. And especially with how dog shit the AL is this year, I am not sold on the fact that this White Sox team is out of the playoff hunt. Well, and as good as the Minnesota Twins have been, you've seen some of these teams go cold for, for a stretch. You know that yeah, at they, some point they're going to run into run into a little bit of a cold streak. Those bats can't stay hot all year. They're going to regress a little bit. And if there's ever a little bit of an opening, um, you know, I, I feel like it's still going to be Cleveland up there, and it's the White Sox right now who have the opportunity to do something with it. I don't think this team is built to compete with the Twins, but like John said, if you're taking care of games against the Royals, if you take care of some games against Cleveland, if you're taking care of Detroit the way you're supposed to, that record's going to stay well above what it was last year and it's you're going to be close to a wild card spot and you're you're going to be up second and third place in the division within somewhat of a striking distance yeah they're not perfect but it it goes back to what what we talked about before if you're taking care of teams that you're supposed to you know that's how you how you build the foundation of a winning ball ball club tony you took the words right out of my mouth i was just going to pull up the numbers i mean 2.5 games back no, you absolutely cannot count them out. Hey, and you know what? The uh, We've been kind of up and down, like Jekyll and Hyde, hot and cold, like, you know, for short stretches here. The Twins are on a nice, they're in a groove right now. That's how, that's what I want to call it. It's more than just a, like a hot stretch. They're in a groove right now. But they fall out of that, like you had mentioned, Tony, and the White Sox hit a hot stretch. They get in a groove. You never know. You never no. know. It's just interesting to me because, you know, Eloy's going to turn it on. You know, Mankata seems to have already somewhat turned it on. He's playing way better than he was at this point last year. You know, you get guys like Tim Anderson having an amazing year, and even James McCann. These type of guys having, like, this season, you can't let it go to waste. The front office needs to realize that at some point and hopefully provide them with what they need to win moving forward. You know, get Yonder Alonso out of the cleanup spot and call up Cease, and you're going to start winning more ballgames. So um, moving on. I want to talk a little bit about the draft before we wrap up. So we put out a blog from the ONTAP Sportsnet. Um, DJ, one of our bloggers, put out a blog yesterday about um, who the White Sox have been looking at in the draft. And two names keep being brought up, both of which I would be okay with the White Sox taking. So let's talk a little bit about um, who we think the White Sox are going to take in next week's MLB draft. Uh, I'll take it first, and I'll go with it's going to be Andrew Vaughn. Um, I don't think that there's any way that uh, Adley Rutschman, uh, the Oregon State catcher, uh, falls to the White Sox. And plus, I mean, right now, uh, while it would be great to have more catching depth, I think that the White Sox still have something in James McCann and uh, either Sebi Zavala or Zach Collins to kind of flush out and figure out there. Um, I'm going Andrew Vaughn because the White Sox have traditionally always went with that college bat. Um, or college pitcher in the first round of the draft. They never really seem to break from that and go with a prep guy. Uh, I know C.J. Abrams is the other guy that they're talking about here. He's a shortstop from Blessed Trinity High School. Uh, but Vaughn is the most advanced college bat in this draft. Um, I think that he can step right in and contribute to the lineup. 
I think probably the soonest out of any of these guys. And I think that's what the White Sox are looking for. We're getting towards the end of the rebuild here. Um, as far as the you know stockpile of prospects, you're going to want somebody who can get to the major leagues quick. Uh, you saw it last year when they took Nick Madrigal. Um, this is the guy is right up the White Sox profile, so that's why I'm going Vaughn here. Yeah, I think you touched on basically all those names, and I would probably agree with you. That's the most likely, the safest. You know, you look at a type of Gavin Sheets that we've taken in the past, um, that they're going to go with that college bat. I, I do think that is probably the route. Um, CJ Abram, Abrams is interesting, uh, for sure. Uh, high school shortstop. Uh, you know, the thing with that is, you know, you can have a extremely high ceiling, but then if you, you know, it's probably a pretty low floor too there. So, um, the, the one wild card that, uh, DJ had thrown out there was, uh, JJ Blede, Blede, however we're going to say it. Um, but he is from Vanderbilt. And so that's another college bat just to like, keep in mind there. No um, Vanderbilt I, guys. I, yeah, yeah. Carson Fulmer <laughs> would been we down that road. Lesson here. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just another one to keep an eye on, but I, Tony, I'd probably agree with you. Andrew Vaughn is probably the safe and most likely pick. So I don't really watch college baseball. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to act like I know anything about these guys. So I'm just going to go with Andrew Vaughn because his last name's Vaughn and Mo Vaughn was one of my favorite players to use in Ken Griffey Jr. Slugfest when I was a kid. So <laughs> I know there's no relation because I'm pretty sure Andrew Vaughn's white and Mo Vaughn is obviously not white. So this is the Shy Sox weekly difference right here. Yeah, literally. <laughs> but right. it'll be interesting to see what uh, what shakes out there in the draft. I'm sure we will uh, we will be covering that very closely when it does go down. Um, we'll have a guest on to review who the White Sox picked in that draft. Um, guys, anything else you want to touch on here? Uh, Indians coming up. I mean, division yeah. games. That's uh, talk about that. that. That's that's what my uh, sites are set on right now. It's huge. It's a four game series too. We, I mean, we've been having a lot of these lately with the you know Houston uh, last week uh, to start the week. So uh, it, it can really change the uh, not, not just the in the standings. You know, if you win like you know three three or four of them. But it can also just change the mentality of the team. Maybe that's what gets them in a groove since they're already, hey, let's just build on it. We're already got three in a row right now. Uh, first, uh, yeah, that's first sweep of the year, right? So mm-hmm. um, build on it. That, that's my closing thoughts. Here's my thing here. Can you get through this this first stretch of the three games on Banuelos, Covey, and Nova against Carrasco, Bauer, and Rodriguez? Because you, you do get to see Lucas Giolito here on Sunday. But can you get through these first three without losing two or three of them? So the Sox, they've played, like, I think 13 or 14 days in a row. They've had a long stretch of playing baseball games without a day off. So that might they might show signs of tiring down the stretch. They don't have another day off until June 3rd, so I'm pretty sure it's right when this series concludes. They have a day off next Monday. you got to think but, TA's rested. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, they they have been playing the the, the uh, this stretch strategically. You know, we've been seeing four different outfielders rotating throughout, um, and we've been seeing a decent amount of Jose Rondon. So you got it. Yeah, like you said, you got to think we're rested. I just hope that you know we can at least split this series. That would be really important. And if we can even make up ground on the Indians by pulling like a three to one or even a fucking another sweep, you know, why not? But like you said, Banuelos against Carrasco tonight. That's not encouraging. That's a hammer the Indians money line kind of day. But uh, <laughs> other than that, big better guy. Big better. Yeah, right. Guy. Other 
other than that, um, I really do think, like I had said with the Houston Astros series, the White Sox can split this one. And then I'm not sure who I'd have to look at the schedule. I'm not sure who we have coming up next week, but I know we got a lot of these weird little like two game series over the next couple weeks. And, you know, those are weird series, but it's kind of hard to get a feel for your opponent when you're just playing them for two games. But I really think the Sox can have a positive record in the month of June, looking at their schedule for the entire month of June. And that would put them at above 500 or right around 500 heading into right around the all-star break. So this month is make or break for the 2019 White Sox. So ride with the Shy Sox weekly crew because we're going to have you covered start to finish. And then we got the draft next week, too, which we're definitely going to have someone on, like Tony said, to recap that. So look out for that. The look yeah, out for any that moment. Predictions for uh, for this weekend series? I know, John, you had said you think split. split. Yeah. You know, I think I think it's possible that they go take three from here, but you're going to need the offense to be in that groove like you talked about, Johnny. Um, at this point, Lucas Giolito starts feel like an automatic lock. So there's your, there's your first one is the new Chris. yeah. And then it's funny because I really think that they can actually win against, uh, Rodriguez in the Nova start. So there's two. And then you just gotta, you gotta win one of these Kobe versus Banuelos games. Um, maybe it's not basically Kobe versus Banuelos. Yeah. You just have to win. (laughs) You just have to win one of these and figure that out. I, I, I'd give Banuelos a little bit better of a shot than Kovia. Trevor Bauer is uh, a, a monster, but uh, I believe the Sox did okay of, against him uh, last time. I know he did strike out quite a few of them, but um, Trevor Bauer is probably their best pitcher right now. So take that for what it's worth. I'll always hate that dude for playing with drones. <laughs> oh, no. Let's not go there. Drone guy. All right. Uh, yeah, right. my, my prediction split two and two. One will be an offensive explosion game. Other one will be a Giolito lockdown. All right. Well, you heard it here first. The guys definitely predict a split. Tony maybe predicts a three-game, uh, three-win stretch over against the Indians. So um, until next week, let's go White Sox. Let's go White Sox. Let's go White Sox.